Shut up and sit down. Hello strangers and welcome to the latest episode of Strangers in a Cinema. I'm your co-host Paul Anderson here, back here this week with co-host Pete Wall. Um, Pete, how are you? Our lives keep sort of jumping up and down and we never really get to do this anymore. So it's good to be back, Pete. Uh, I'm glad to see you. Yes, <laughs> it is still an ongoing concern. Uh, not in the bad sense, in the good sense. In the sense of something that we're still committed to doing. But yeah, apologies to regular listeners to the show because it has been all a bit up in the air. I mean, the world is not normal at the moment for everybody. And I'm sure all of you listening to this are going through your own difficulties hardships and sort of turmoil in different ways uh, you know greater or smaller right now so we do apologize for the lack of regular content we will get back onto a regular schedule asap but for the time being we've got a new episode today we're looking forward to doing it and man we've got i think something fairly important and fairly sort of um like a ritual each year this show uh, represents yes. which is the show in which we have a half year um head to head a half year discussion to decide what were the best films from both sides of this conversation the year leading up to and including the month of June so of course that is an interesting time to survey uh, not least because all the cinemas <laughs> shut down everything changed the world went to hell but we're going to do our best to bring some light to the situation by highlighting maybe films that you've seen and forgotten about within everything that's happened or maybe films that you missed because they were pulled from cinema screens when the doors were closed or you missed them on streaming because you were obsessed with Tiger King and watching every other streaming series available <laughs> in the time. So hopefully we'll bring some light to some of the movies that are worth your time in the, the coming months if you haven't seen them already. In addition to that, though, we're going to get back to something like a regular format, right, Paul? Like this week, we're going to do the top five in place of a feature review, but we're also going to do the popcorn movies section. But in between those two, we're going to bring back a section of the show that's introduced or been introduced recently. That one is Stream Team, where we're going to recommend streaming stuff because we're all in our homes and we all want to stream things and we want some maybe recommendations for what might be worth our time again. But before we get to all that good stuff, we have a little bit of news, I guess, Paul. And I've got to be honest and throw my hands up and say, <laughs> yet again, I come to this conversation saying I have found it very hard to care about film news recently. Um, how about you? Have you got anything to, to bring in? To, or to be honest, to I've, I've kind of I've kind of been I've, I've discovered a number of new sites that I haven't read in the past because I've got so sick of looking at the main the mainstream news and it just being bad news all the time. So I've been I'm well read up on the Snyder Cut uh, more, more than I should, probably should have been more than I would have been prior to lockdown so i'm kind of trying desperately trying to find any positive film news and there's just not a lot out there um in all honesty at the moment to to talk about certainly not that t sort of tickles my fancy anyway um but something happened in the past week that i know i'm very excited about and pete couldn't care less about which which is always entertaining um there is a trailer out pete for your most anticipated film of the year uh, bill and ted face the music um i was going to ask if you'd seen the trailer i already know you haven't uh, so <laughs> that's how much you care i think uh, which is fair enough I, you know i get that the bill and ted movies an acquired taste they are however a taste that i acquired at quite a young age so i'm very excited for bill and ted face the music um i think it could be just the antidote for the first horrible first six months of the year um hopefully it hopefully it will have some of the magic of the first films um you've got the original 
original cast back um, for sure. So that's quite exciting. So it's good to see Bill and Ted on the big screen again. The trailer looks exactly what I expected it to look like. It looks like a load of silly nonsense. So if you haven't seen the Bill and Ted face the music trailer yet, check it out. It's out there now. Uh, unless you don't like Bill and Ted like Pete, in which case don't bother watching the trailer because there's nothing there for you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, do we have a release date? Um, I believe it's. I believe it's. I think it's kind of up in there at the moment because it's definitely this year. I think there's a rumor it's been moved to a streaming release, um, so possibly sooner rather than later. But I don't have an exact release date, unfortunately, at the moment. Uh, but I will be there day and date for this one for sure. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm assuming there's sort of a, a degree of self awareness with Bill and Ted because the very title Bill and Ted Face the Music <laughs> just sounds like a sort of desperate death rattle of a franchise but maybe that isn't the case and and you're right man like we should look for bright spots and sort of levity in these times more than ever I think so maybe you're right maybe something like Bill and Ted is exactly what we need and maybe I just didn't realize it until you told me about it today and that's exactly what this bit of the show's for so we've probably done our job with that I mean aside from Bill and Ted are you in any way as a host of this with me and like again I hold my hands up I should be doing better are you in any way aware of like upcoming releases of movies uh the five bloods is on netflix very soon i think the new spike lee film um i'm fairly sure that's later this month actually um and there is there's been a couple of films i think dropped on amazon i managed to find the assistant which i'll get to later on um which i think came out has certainly come out in the lockdown um it's kind of tricky to find i don't know about you pete but often when we do the show you kind of google release dates and it's automatically defaults to the US the US streaming release date, so it's quite difficult to know mm. when things are coming out. Um, there's a couple I've picked up on Butt Boy, which again is another film that I will get to. I'm excited to talk about a film called Butt Boy. Um, that's just dropped on streaming, so it's just a matter of at the moment it's just a matter of about once a week. I just kind of put into the my, my little Amazon box, I put the put into the search bar and hope it comes up. To be honest, at the moment, but it's not always easy. Yeah. To, it's not always easy to to nail down the UK streaming release dates. To be honest, but. Doesn't that doesn't that speak to a sort of a slight hole in the system when it comes to lockdown life like Amazon Prime and Netflix, where those companies and those platforms might do a better job of making you more aware of the release schedule of films now that we're in this new normal of not seeing anything at the cinema because it seems like they do a really incompetent job and maybe that's not an accident you know when it comes to Netflix they have their reasons for highlighting certain productions and, and certain films albeit some of them absolute garbage but are really forced on you on that front page and it takes digging around so I mean it took us what on UK Netflix about seven years until we got some indication of what was actually being watched by consumers with the 1 to 10 ranking which is still not transparent at all at this point but is something so yeah I guess we can only hope and maybe it's in vain but I'd like to see something like a release schedule for streaming platforms when they've got original content coming out just like you'd have with your cinema release schedule I think they, they probably are hidden away somewhere and there'll probably be someone listening to this that's going oh it's over here you idiots like really easy to find but in my experience I'm with you Pete I don't think it's obvious enough as to as to when things are coming out and, and, and when they're coming up because I you know I love I love watching films and I love getting excited about release dates. So I love like counting down the days to when it's out. And certainly the the bigger certainly in Netflix case the bigger releases you can tend to find that. But certainly some of the small releases it is difficult to tell. So 
Yeah, and I mean, you know, we're not naive on this. I mean, on the Netflix platform, for example, you can look at the the slide that is new releases and each of those new releases will tell you a release date, but they're not no. chronologically ordered. So it doesn't ascend or descend in terms of chronology. And then when you add them um, as, a, as an alert, then they'll be added to your list on the day that they release. But on the actual front page, they're not going to do anything to highlight to you the release dates of those movies. Like it, just, it just disappears. Yeah, it's bizarre. Point. But yeah, I think... I think there is yeah certainly from my perspective and I, yeah you agree with me because we're having this conversation so i think there's room for improvement there on just knowing when things are coming out uh because as you say it always defaults to the you kind of google it and oh yes it's out and then you're like oh no it's not yet not in the uk it's not so yeah i think work to be done on that and mm. you could probably build some more you could certainly build some more buzz around films i think um if things didn't it just mm. yeah if things just didn't appear with sort of no yeah, fanfare absolutely well uh talking of fanfare paul let's introduce some in a moment we're going to bring back a section of the show that you know and love and that section is called popcorn movies right after this So yeah, back we are with Popcorn Movies. This is the section of the show where we talk about films we've seen in the last 14 to 19 days, I guess, as an approximation um, of of what we, yeah, of the last time we did this show together, or maybe even longer, actually. But hey-ho, this is the films we've watched recently uh, of any age, um, any platform uh, that we've liked and wanted to talk about on the show. So um, yeah, Pete, go first, jump in. Uh, okay, I present to you this, Paul Anderson. Uh, Paul Blart Mulcop plays a psycho Nazi killer, in or out? I'm in. I want to see this, but again, I've no idea when it's out. <laughs> so yeah, it's out. <laughs> this one, this one for the uninitiated is a, a movie called Becky, uh, which also stars Joel McHale in a sort of serious dramatic role. It's weird. It's a bit like uh, the setup of something like Funny Games, the Michael Haneke movie, where you have the big bad guys and they roll up and they have a way of getting into a domestic situation uh, through various means. And once they're there, they start wreaking havoc. Uh, little do they know that there is a sort of uh, Kevin from Home Alone kid here who is going to do everything in her power to make sure that they are brought to their knees that they're humbled this is uh, a little girl played by an actress called lulu wilson that i don't know from other places although i'm sure she's appeared in something that i've seen without me realizing that uh, at the center of this i guess the headline is the fact that kevin james is going against type he's pretty convincing as a sort of grizzled beardy uh threatening sort of malevolent fella uh it, I, You'll like it more than me, okay. I would imagine. Right. I would say that much. I mean, it just is one of those movies where it just all felt a bit stock. Like once we get into the the, the running of things, I'm I'm I've seen this film and I've seen it made better before and it's fine uh the young actress as i mentioned lulu wilson performs well john McHale again is is fine um but there's nothing here that really makes the movie stand out or become i, I think particularly memorable in the canon of sort of exploitative home invasion um movies that, that otherwise you know might be superior to this one so yeah, that first one's becky maybe not a hot recommendation for the year but something to look out for if you're into a bit of nastiness a bit of uh, threat and a bit of uh, resilience in the face of said threat so yeah that one's becky paul what have you got first uh, i've got a film called butt boy which i mentioned just before the uh, break um yeah this is the best film you'll see this year about uh, a man putting things up his bum to quote my own instagram uh, post on this and, one and, and you would know paul <laughs> yes, wouldn't you absolutely, you would know yeah absolutely um yeah so just to give you i'm going to read the imdb uh, synopsis just to give you a setup for this because i think it's, it's pretty well written to be fair detective fox loves working alcohol after going to aa his sponsored chip becomes the main suspect in his investigation of a missing kid 
made. Fox also starts to believe that people are disappearing up Chip's butt. Um, so this is a ridiculous film. The tra I remember seeing the trailer and thought, I have to watch this. Um, and it is basically, the alarm bell started ringing for me when you realise it's directed by Tyler Cornack, written by Tyler Cornack, and also starring Tyler Cornack. That's not normally a good sign uh, for films, to be honest, if you've got one person in so many roles. But in this case, I, to be honest, I it's I think it's doing. I, I don't want to do the filmmakers a disservice. I thought this was quite good. I'll be honest. The, the premise is absolutely ridiculous, as you might expect, um, and there are some absolutely ridiculous scenes in it. There's 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 no doubting that is a very silly film in its premise, but it's quite well put together as a thriller. I actually found myself quite enjoying this. Um, again, you know, like I, I didn't. It's the kind of thing that I expected to tune into and thought. This will be utter trash, but the concept will make it entertaining alone. And it wasn't. Like it's actually not a bad film. Um, and it's just it's just well put together. The performances are decent. Um, yeah, and it, the the final third is one of the weirdest things you will definitely see committed to screen this year, without a shadow of a doubt. But I think that that plays to its strength. So yeah, but boy, a very pleasant surprise. Um, and don't let the subject matter put you off. I mean, you might let the subject matter put you off. Uh, in fairness, it's certainly not going to be a film for everyone with that premise. I get that. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> Hi, oh, grand granddad, gather round. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. Don't be put off. It's a film about a guy. It's inserting things into his anus yeah, and people but it is for things, for everyone yeah <laughs> right, um, right yeah absolutely and dogs and yeah and just everything really just yeah, anything you can imagine will, will, will go up there so yeah um it's a very strange film but i was pleasantly surprised by it and i think it's i think it shows promise in, in tyler cornack as director if he can pull a good film out of this subject matter then i think there's a, a lot of promise in what he makes next so yeah i would urge anyone with um yeah to check it out but keep an open mind because you might actually quite enjoy this yeah and on your written directed and starring the same person a uh, word of caution vinnie g wants to uh, have a word with you uh, Vin vincent gallo although some people would say i guess of vincent gallo that certain things are disappearing up his ass as his career continues so uh maybe there's a link there um one here well we're staying on a kind of juvenile tip I guess going from your review to mine because I've uh, I don't know if I said this on the show because I think it's before we last recorded perhaps but uh, I was just sick for a while uh, and it sucked it was terrible uh, and thankfully much better now nothing to do with coronavirus directly but during that period of time I found like I couldn't focus on nutritious films on films that I had listed <laughs> that I wanted to watch and I was just watching a lot of garbage and then since that point, I've tried to get back onto the straight and narrow. We're catching up with things I want to see. But the other night, it struck me that there was only one film that I wanted to watch. I was tired and it was late and I just wanted to throw it on uh, after having watched another film, which was particularly disappointing. And the film I put on was Walk Hard, The Dewey Cox Story. Now, I know we've talked about this movie before. When I uh, went to review, uh, not even review it, like give it a star rating on Letterboxd after watching it, it actually went up slightly in my estimation. And I think this is on viewing like six or seven for me. <laughs> uh, I just think the movie Walk Hard is so underrated. I've read reviews on the Metacritic rundown of reviews from the time and I just feel that there's so much po-faced uh, self-seriousness in some of the writing about this movie. It does such a brilliant job of pastiching not only movies about musicians but also genres of music, periods of music history, the influence of certain drugs on periods of music history. So brilliantly and so concisely that the movie that runs what, an hour and 36 minutes to me feels about a 45 minute film because I can quote scene after scene after 
after scene after scene. It made me laugh out loud multiple times. And talking about, Paul, as you were before, like needing things maybe like Bill and Ted that just lift your spirits when we're in this yeah. rough time. Man, this is like medication to the masses. If you haven't seen Walk Hard, please check it out. And if you have seen it, go back to it. You'll realise that it may be even better than you thought the first time. Uh, just highly recommended. And like probably the best thing John C. Riley's ever done. And this is like a really, really well-established, serious, dramatic actor. But like to pull off what he pulls off here, I think is incredible. As is, you know, Jenna Fisher, as is Craig Ferguson, as is so many of the other people, side players in this movie. So I love it. It's great. Uh, I'll watch it again in a couple of months, probably. What's next for you, Paul? Uh, I concur with that. Just uh, just hasten to add, I love Dewey Cox. I think it's a great film. So good, good shout, good shout. Um, next up for me is a film that I've been meaning to catch up with since it came out way, way back in 2018, which feels like many moons ago now. Uh, this is an Icelandic film called Woman at War, which has just appeared on Mubi, so it's a good chance to catch it if you haven't seen it. Uh, directed by Benedict Erlingsson. Um, I, it's brilliant. It's, it, it is brilliant. The, the concept of it is, is one woman sort of wages a war against big industry in Iceland um, by sort of eco-terrorism, so she disables um, power lines and causes massive amounts of power cuts. Um, and it kind of the film opens in kind of when she's in the sort of tech, trying to wind down this campaign of eco-terrorism really um, to the point where the Icelandic authorities have got the Americans to try and assist them she's really kind of brought the country to its to the, the big industry in the country to its knees um, and at the same time this character called Hala played by Haldora Gahatsador daughter nailed it that's that, yeah absolutely nailed it yeah absolutely nailed it um it's a brilliant performance but at the same time the um the lead character um is also looking to uh, adopt a child um at the same time so it's kind of her trying to balance out she as much as she wants to adopt this child how much does she want to adopt the child compared to the balance of how much does she want to continue what she's doing kind of saving iceland from from large industry um there's a really nice twist um in the story at the end which i won't ruin here um to say more than that would ruin it but yeah if you haven't seen it it's a it's just a really really well put together film a really really kind of bittersweet bittersweet tale heartwarming um and and kind of sad in places as well but just a, a really really well put together film so yeah if you haven't seen that it's now streaming on mubi that's woman at war nice and i don't know if we've flagged this up on the show yet paul but mubi if people are interested not only do they often offer uh, extensive free trials discounts and different kinds of promotions for the platform but now in addition to the curated 30-day ever-changing list of movies that you can see there they've also opened up the archives section of their website to offer some more curated content for the same price as you would be paying anyway so if you're yet to dip your toe into movie maybe now is the time to do that particularly being locked up at home as, as most of yeah. us are yeah agreed uh you you paul to bounce from yours to mine like you've just mentioned something that sounds very worthy very worth time and i'm going to go the complete other way and give you a little <laughs> uh, a, bit, a bit of a warning about um a man called walter hill paul are you familiar with walter hill first of all I am familiar with Walter Hill. So, yes. so Walter Hill is this guy who is known for being a producer on everything from The Warriors to Alien, Aliens, Alien 3, and on and on and on. Uh, a load of very well-regarded, uh, sort of um, critically praised work. But Walter Hill, uh, on another in another part of his career, is also something of a film director. At this point, though, Walter Hill is also a very old man. Now, I'm not saying that an old man can't make an excellent film but when your film director's born in the early 1940s and then he takes on a contemporary tale about gender reassignment and assassins 
there are going to be alarm bells for me, Paul. There are going to be some alarm bells. What we have here, are you aware of the film I'm going to talk about? I'm not, I don't think. Unless you may say it in a minute and I'm like, oh yeah, I've seen that. But no, it's not jumping out. You know, you said, you know, you said before, like um, a red flag is if someone like directs, maybe writes and stars, for example. Well, I'll give you another one. This is when, and we both know this, when the film has more than one title. Yeah, that's definitely a red flag. Yeah. Yeah, like they've gone, this has flopped. Yeah. Let's give it a different name, repackage it and try and sell it off on, you know, a home video or whatever. So this movie you would search as The Assignment, although it's on streaming as Tomboy. Right. Uh, and it stars a Hispanic male hitman, guys. As soon as you see the Hispanic male hitman, if you're anything like me, you say, oh, that's Michelle Rodriguez with a beard. And indeed, it is Michelle Rodriguez with a beard because the premise here is that this uh, macho hitman is going to be brought to his slash her knees by being uh, forcibly gender reassigned by a sort of malevolent doctor. That doctor played here uh, somewhat bizarrely. Uh, by an actress that you might associate with that Alien franchise. Who do you think it is? Sigourney Weaver. It is indeed Sigourney Weaver. And it's Sigourney Weaver in one of those jobs where you can tell that she's been paid to do a day. Because all her scenes take place in one interview room in (laughs) some kind of psychiatric unit where you think, I see, you you got day's pay for this. You got a decent rate in and out. This is a mess. I mean, it's a mess. I mean, the premise is a mess, but also... There is maybe a way that you could handle uh, gender reassignment, gender politics, uh, fluid gender in a crime drama. But this ain't that way, man. This is just uh, uh, awkward and it feels embarrassing. It feels like, you know, if your grandpa gets up to start talking um, modern, you know, zeitgeisty politics at the dinner table at Christmas time, but he's had too much to drink. And you just think, sit down, you know, sit down, uh, take a break, have a nap. Yeah, no, no to this. I mean, if you're curious, you might well be, Paul. If you're curious to see Michelle Rodriguez playing a guy and then not playing a guy, then there's value. You know, then there's about two stars of value right there. But the rest of it is is trash. Okay. Uh, What else have you got this Uh, week? Pleasant Surprise of the Year Award goes to uh, Always Be My Maybe, um, which is a film that I kind of saw the trailer of and didn't think I'd like particularly and then sat down to watch it with the wife. And by the end of it, I was just like, oh, that was really good. (laughs) I didn't see that one come in. Um, This is directed by uh, Nachachka Khan, uh, stars Ali Wong and Randall Park. Ali Wong, I believe, is a stand-up comic. Is Randall Park a stand-up comic as well, Pete? I'm not sure of his Uh, background. Comic actor, but I don't know if I've seen him do stand-up. Ali Wong's stand-up's really good. You can watch her stand-up on Netflix. Okay, yeah, I haven't seen her. I was aware of her, but I haven't seen her stand-up, in fairness. Um, This is a romantic comedy. They grew up together after 15 years and then go their separate ways. So... um, yeah, so it's kind of generic and it's set up for sure. Um, so Sasha, played by Ali Wong, goes off to become like a sort of world famous, sort of a very famous celebrity chef, um, lives kind of the high life. And Marcus, played by Randall Park, kind of sits at home living, living with his dad, sort of smoking weed, sort of living the classic kind of stoner lifestyle, really. So yeah, there's, there's nothing necessarily original here in its setup. 
um, but the execution is just incredibly well done. The, the leads have got a great chemistry between them. Like you genuinely believe that you genuinely believe in their kind of all on and off again relationship. Um, it's really well written. It's genuinely funny in places. There's a brilliant cameo. I say cameo. He's got. I'd say it's a slightly bigger role in the cameo from um, an actor we've already talked about on the show today. I won't spoil it any further than that. That is genuinely very very funny. So look out for that. Um, yeah, it's just one of those films that, for me, was just a really well put together genre piece. Doesn't doesn't break the mold. Doesn't need to break the mold. I just really, really had a great time with it. Pete, have you seen this? I meant to ask you the other day. Yeah, 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 yeah. I I saw it a while ago. I guess when it first went up on streaming because it's like a Netflix co-production or something. like I that. Think I think it is a Netflix production. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I was I was kind of drawn to it because um, yeah, my wife and I are both fans of Ali Wong's stuff. Basically, um, her pregnancy stand-up in particular but uh yeah that that was enough to get me in the door and then uh, yeah I like Randall Park I like the way the material's handled it's well shot it's decent and it's one of those that like you're saying is it's really a cut above a lot of this kind of thing which is a sort yeah. of you know 90 minute Netflix piece of comedy content which you know we we're kind of sick to the back teeth of when it comes to the I don't know Jexies of the world or whatever yeah, the, absolutely, the next, yeah. the next <laughs> movie is yeah absolutely so yeah no really a lot to like about this so so yeah, if you if you don't think it's your kind of thing, then give it give it a look. Um, it's a still it's a very 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 well put together genre piece that I really really liked. So yeah, that's always be my maybe now streaming on Netflix. Nice, um, completely other end of the scale. My last one for today is one that that came to Netflix amidst absolutely zero fanfare and got tucked away in the section that should probably be described not for everyone uh, and this one is the forest of love by a guy that i quite like uh, sion sono the absolute lunatic japanese director of things <laughs> like uh, suicide circle and love exposure and a guy who it, it, i guess you could say in a very simplistic sense is sort of um taking the torch from Mike Takeshi in terms of being incredibly prolific, throwing a lot at the wall, a lot of that being like human entrails and blood and semen and stuff and seeing how much of it works. I mean, it, what we have here, because that sounds all very off-putting, what I've just said, uh, a, a group <laughs> of student filmmakers, they're trying to make a film and they're trying to have a creative outlet. Into this scene comes a girl who has spent her life hiding away at home because of previous trauma that is sort of unfurled as the as we get into the plot of the film. Uh, and then into that environment comes a kind of the guy like the guy in Visitor Q, I guess, uh, if we mm. reference Mika Takeshi, who comes into the family, hits everyone over the head and changes their whole, you know, bum lives up. Well, in this case, we've got a guy who seems to be like a master manipulator and a kind of suave uh, suave ladies man I guess uh, but he is the subject then of the film but he gradually um, ingratiates himself with the group in different ways so that he becomes central to the film's production and then as the film this film The Forest of Love plays out he ends up being a sort of manipulative deceitful sadistic hateful member of the group who pretty much enslaves all of these that were formerly sort of taken under his wing and under his charms and so on. It's quite complex, I would say, The Forest of Love. There will be people who watch this and say, oh, you know, it's a load of trash and exploitation. And, and I guess this is where I come out 
uh, swinging in terms of defending exploitation cinema mm. is with something like uh, the work of someone like Sean Sono where oh and anti-porno we saw like a few yeah. years ago and, and yeah. talked about in the show too but it's someone like this who is just so full of ideas and f- so in tune with some of the concerns and some of the strife that not only Japanese young people but specifically Jam- Japanese young people in his work are going through and so I recommend it but with a couple of caveats it's fully two and a half hours long and if you're not into it after the first 20 minutes you might want to duck out but if you can stick with the material I think that what you have here is it's violent uh, it's off-putting at times. It's very much in your face. It's almost a surprise that Netflix gave the guy money. Not to mention Amazon Prime gave him money to make Tokyo Vampire Hotel, which is a TV series that you can hardly believe is allowed to be on that platform. I mean, watch the first episode and come back to me. But uh, yeah, Forest of Love, I liked it, man. I liked it quite a lot. If it had come out this year, it might have been troubling my list that we're going to do later on, but it didn't. It came out tail end of last year. So if you like that sort of thing give it a go it's still streaming on netflix now um the last one for me is a film i've been meaning to watch for a while um mainly down to your recommendation uh, and obviously the, the current uh, recent events in the news have kind of driven me to be better educated on the subject matter to be honest um this is 13th the um, documentary by ava duvernay about the uh, 13th amendment and an in-depth look of the prison system in the united states um, and the Thirteenth Amendment basically is your right not to be a slave, essentially. Uh, but there's a there's a caveat in the Thirteenth Amendment, which basically, unless you're convicted as a criminal. Um, and the film, Pete, you've talked about this, I think, at some depth on here, so I won't I won't talk too much about this. But um, just to say that, um, I apologies, Pete, I haven't watched this sooner. It's an absolutely superb documentary, um, and there's there's some of it that I, I was aware of from previous sort of similar documentaries around the subject matter. Other things I wasn't, but I don't think I've seen a documentary as well put together as this for quite some time. It's just in- incredibly well made. Um, it, absolutely searing in its indictment of the um, of the current US prison system for sure um, and yeah if you if you do want to educate yourself on on the Black Lives Matter movement and certainly the treatment of the treatment of um, black people around the world not just in the US um, this is certainly a good place to start if you want to educate yourself further on that um, not to say I've got all the answers I haven't in the slightest um, I've been I've started reading a couple of books on the subject matter as well um, but this is yeah this is a fantastic piece of work um, and a really good place to start if you want to learn more about the the u.s political system for sure um and just how just how bad things are out there pete anything to add on that one or no i know you were a big fan just to say yeah i think when we did 2016 because this is the 2016 release right when we did the 2016 best of the year list it was in my top 10 not that that is like some massive endorsement that's (laughs) going to go above and beyond anything you've said but yeah no it just brings back to me how much uh, admiration i had and have for Ava DuVernay and what she managed to achieve with the documentary because it's such, I think, a a balancing act where you've got dense, complicated material, some of it, you know, sort of fine legal material as well that could be off-putting even to the most concerned and earnest viewer. But to be able to present that in a way that is clear-eyed and 
easy to follow and easy to follow in a way that isn't just doing the sort of histrionic, tub-thumping, didactic stuff that someone like Michael Moore does with his documentaries, which make them almost cartoonish, you know, to someone, I guess, who maybe has some information on the topic. So, yeah, it's it's like grown-up documentary filmmaking on an incredibly prescient topic. It was so in 2016 and, and equally, if not more so now in, in 2020 in the time we're living in. So, yeah, massive thumbs up from me and recommendation on that one for sure yeah absolutely um yeah and that's that's where we close on on popcorn movies so that's 13th church of bayou de Vernay, now streaming on netflix yeah if, i mean there's there was always there's never a bad time to watch a good film uh, but now seems it seems especially even more precedent now uh, with recent events so certainly check that out for sure for the for the sake of jack the editor should we bounce straight into stream team and then we'll take a break before we get to the top five uh, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like we're, we're just going to throw out a couple of recommendations for streaming movies, so we'll get right into that. And actually, there is kind of a reason why I've done that, Paul. It's a little okay. bit self-interested. <laughs> it's because the first recommendation for Stream Team for me, uh, usually we pick Netflix, Prime, maybe Mubi or all four, or whatever it is that we think is worthy of your attention. I'm going to go for a Netflix pick first of all, and it's not strictly speaking a movie. It is, though, the work of Ava DuVernay, and this is the four-part series, When They See Us, which was released last year. So I caught up with it, I guess, summer of last year. It is... Re- Have you seen this yet, Paul? No, not yet. Oh, go... Yeah, bounce straight from 13th to this, I, w- okay. I would say. Uh, this is telling the story of five teenagers in Harlem who go out on a night where there is... Uh, I saw the trailer for this the other day. I didn't know it was Ava DuVernay, to be fair. Yeah, there's a the crime in it's the Central Part Five. It's the true story of the Central Part Five, but dramatized here with actors playing the roles of those guys who went out to Central Park on the night where a woman was savagely beaten and raped, sexually assaulted in the park. And these guys are um, sort of summarily rounded up as the suspects of this crime, and then almost driven into. Uh, like a bottleneck of the justice system that doesn't allow them to do anything other than say, yep, I did what you said that I did. Even though as you watch the series, you're aware probably a little of this story and you become increasingly agitated and angry knowing full well that these guys didn't do what they're accused of doing. It's only four episodes, as I say, just four parts. So I feel I can get away with putting in a four-part series instead of a film. Uh, It will take just about five hours of your time, but obviously broken up in into more easily uh, sort of consumable, um, digestible parts. Real strong recommendation, particularly coming off the back of what you said about um, Ava DuVernay's uh, documentary 13th as well. So yeah, that's when they see us. It's streaming now on Netflix. It's a Netflix co-production, I think, as well. Uh, So check it out there. Paul, what have you got from wherever? Uh, so stream team wise, um, the first thing, well, on a similar subject matter actually, um, and not in, not entirely intentional to be fair, but this is Blind Spotting, which is now streaming on Netflix, which I saw I think in 2019 and came out in 2018. Had I seen it in uh, 2018, it would have made my films of the year list certainly. But as I said, I'll, I'll agree with Pete, not that that's any great shakes in the grand scheme of things. Um, but yeah, Blind Spotting, directed by Carlos Lopez Estrada, starring Rafael Casiel and David Diggs, um, is just a, a s- absolutely searing. I guess sort of comment is there's elements of comedy here there's elements of drama here um there's some incredible um incredible rap performances from David Diggs and Rafael Casal um in here as well it's a it's a it's on paper when I saw the trailer it kind of it looked like the kind of film that just wouldn't work for me and I wasn't sure whether it would come together as the sum of its parts um as a film I 
I, I've seen it three times now and I cry at the ending every time. Um, mm. I think it's an incredibly powerful piece of work um, and marks out certainly um, certainly everyone involved. I think it was Carlos Lopez Estrada's first directorial, certainly feature directorial debut, I think. I may be wrong on that one. Um, but yeah, it's just an incredibly, incredibly powerful drama um, that, again, highlights highlights a number of the issues with race in the US. Um, so if you haven't seen Blind Spotting, it is on Netflix. I urge you to check it out. Um, I've read some people describe the ending as heavy-handed. I don't agree. Um, I think it works remarkably well. And I th- for me, it doesn't take the predictable... The way it the way it builds and the way where you think it's going for me, I thought it was very very good that it didn't take the predictable ending that I thought it would take, and as a result, it's even a stronger film for it. But yeah, I absolutely love Blind Spot, and I think it's a fantastic piece of work. And if you haven't checked it out, it is on Netflix at the moment. Yeah, and David Diggs is one of those guys that you look at with a sort of mixture of admiration and slight envy because uh, not unlike uh, Donald Glover, I guess, he's got this crossover appeal between hip-hop and, and his yeah. acting work uh, and his filmmaking work. He's the one of the guys who uh, launched the project Clipping, the hip-hop project Clipping. Uh, Clipping, if you haven't checked it out, really good, good music streaming, that's not our show. But at the end, without spoiling anything about the end of Blind Spotting, the way in which David Diggs manages to marry his obvious talent and flair for hip hop music with a very dramatic sort of climactic Mm. sequence there I don't think is heavy handed at all I think that in the hands of somebody else it could have been really cringy and really awkward but that guy pulls it off and that's to his credit and I mean this is the same actor who's now front and centre in Snowpiercer the um, TV I guess streaming TV version of that film so uh, yeah all over the map at the moment David Diggs and and one to keep an eye on because he's really really talented yeah for sure for sure Uh, Pete what have you got next? Uh, so I've gone Prime Video. This is not going to come as a massive surprise to anyone because it is a film I've talked about before and I haven't dug that deeply for a hidden gem this time. But it just kind of feels right as something to recommend just about now. When we're talking about the need for unity, the importance of togetherness, family closeness, supporting one another and also cultural division and maybe cultural unity. There are a few films that I could recommend better to tick all of those boxes from recent years than The Farewell, which has been added to Prime Video. Video now, if you haven't seen the farewell yet, this one, of course, is uh, directed by Lulu Wang and co-written by Lulu Wang, based on I think uh, originally an article that she wrote that was expanded um, that she wrote for This American Life, and then um, you've got uh, the uh, older grandmother figure played by Susan Shao in this movie, who is sick, but her family can't tell her that she is sick or how sick that she is. Uh, instead, they have to find other means by which to. Uh, have a sort of a cover for taking a big family reunion trip over to China to spend time with her. Also, of course, front and centre, Aquafina, who's so great here. Uh, yeah, really, if you haven't seen it, I need to recommend this one to my mother, actually. Uh, she's asking me for film recommendations and, I, and I've and i given her one or two, but I'll certainly add this one to the list. It is fantastic. I think it was right up there, if not my film of the year last year. So, um, yeah, that's the farewell. Brilliant. Yeah, it is brilliant. If you haven't seen it, I completely agree with Pete on that one. Check it out uh, sooner rather than later because it's great. Um, I've got another film from last year, actually is my final pick for stream team this is also on amazon prime um 
I will not stop talking about this film until enough people have seen it. And I think enough people is the whole world. So um, it's going to take me a while and I'll talk about it for as long as that takes. Um, this is 2019's Booksmart, which is one of my favourite comedies of the last many a year now, to be honest. The more I watch it, the more I love it. Um, this is the directorial debut of Olivia Wilde, um, starring Caitlin Deaver and Beanie Feldstein. Um, and it's just brilliant. It's a, a lot. I think we, we've, I mean, I've talked about this film quite a lot on the show recently, in fairness. Um, it's so much more than just a, a just a gender flip super bad um it's very very funny it's very very poignant um and it just yeah it sums up what being a school kid is um and it's also so it's just yeah it's brilliant it's incredibly progressive in its portrayal um of almost everyone in the film to be fair um and it just it felt like a breath of fresh air it was a very pleasant surprise for me when it came out another one of those comedies where the trailer didn't look appealing to me at all and i came out of it looked at my wife and i was just like that was an incredible incredible film um and i I love Booksmart and I won't have a bad word said about it and if you haven't seen it see it it's on yeah, Amazon Prime and, and best uh, Alanis Morissette sing-along sequence in <laughs> recent memory <laughs> absolutely so yeah it's another yeah. reason to recommend it uh, yeah lots there to get into if you haven't checked those out already although plenty more if you do have recommendations throw them out on our social media let us know what you've been watching during the lockdown and what you'd recommend uh, you can find us obviously on Twitter at uh, Strangers Cinema equally we're on Instagram we're on Facebook throw us a message get involved in the conversation we need to support each other and help each other out with recommendations right about now I think and on that front Paul Anderson we are going to take a break and when we come back we'll be listing our top five films of this year so far that's January through June right after this Oh yes, here we are, uh, middle of the year, top five films of the year so far. It's always an interesting time of year. Um, it was a bit easier making a list this year because a lot of things have been delayed. Um, so it's this. I'll be honest, my list is quite January centric <laughs> um, in terms in terms of the release dates, without a shadow of a doubt. So apologies if that makes it ever if that makes it ever more predictable. But uh, they're still my favourite films of the last six months. Um, Pete, do you want to dive in first with your number five? Or? Yes, I will. Yeah, I've kind of chopped and changed a bit, but I've landed on one that I didn't want to leave off the list. Uh, at number five for me, a film released on the 7th of February, 2020. All of these are UK release dates, January to June, by yeah, the way. Sorry, we're a UK podcast, yeah. So yeah. that's what we're doing. Uh, you know, fight us. Uh, yeah, this one is Birds of Prey uh, or the uh, fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn. The reason why this makes the list or the reasons why this makes the list is I think that expectations of what could be done with the Harley Quinn character coming off the back of Suicide Squad were quite rightly relatively low. Uh, I mean, Suicide Squad was so deeply disappointing on so many levels. Although for me personally, I thought that Harley Quinn, albeit the lack of control, I think, the more you read about that production, the less control you see that Margot Robbie actually had over creative decisions on that movie. Mm. Not to mention like, you know, oh, you're going to wear essentially you know, short shorts that look like a thong throughout the movie, pretty much. Those kinds of things that she certainly wouldn't have done. Then what better way to bounce that character that to me was one of the bright sparks in that 
dire mess of a movie out and allow an actual emancipation to happen where Margot Robbie takes on not only the role but an exec production role on the movie where she's got the freedom to choose what happens with this character to take her take the power back I essentially from the powers that be I guess in collaboration of course with the film's director Kathy Yan I mm. just think they did an excellent job of presenting this character in a, in a world that I found relatively believable bringing back a lot of the fun that you associate with that universe uh, also allowing the film to be R-rated which was such a stupid decision when it came to Suicide Squad with the you know lack of blood and all of mm. the edits that needed to be made there and I want to watch her on screen, not only because she's clearly phenomenally attractive, but because she's a good comedy actress, because she's good at kicking people's heads in in a fairly convincing way, and because there's a kind of relish to a Margot Robbie performance that not every other performer could bring to that role. And we've seen this in things like I, Tonya and On and On as well, that this is a woman who isn't happy to just be a pretty face, a puppet for a director or a producer, but she actually wants to have the reins in her own hands and I think that really comes across on this movie as she gathers together, you know, her crew, uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, another actress that I like a lot, who I think is good here. Journey Smollett, who I think does a fantastic job with her role. And, you know, yeah, I don't like Ewan McGregor very much. I could take or leave his role in the movie, to be honest with you. If they recast it, I wouldn't mind. But by and large, Rosie Perez is good in this movie. Uh, by and large, I just think it worked. I enjoyed the fight sequences. I enjoyed the choreography. I enjoyed the unity of the squad. Uh, I enjoyed the aesthetic of the whole thing and its sense of humour and the way that there was actual impactful violence in the movie, which seemed very sadly lacking from Suicide Squad. So with all those things in mind, I just thought it was a good action movie. I liked it a lot and I want to see what happens next uh, with the follow-up and of course with whatever James Gunn does with Suicide Squad, getting that thing out of the gutter. So um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's, yeah. My, that's my number five, Birds of Prey. What have you cool. got at five, Paul? Uh, my number five is a film that came out fairly recently. I think, well, according to IMDb, 1st of May 2020. This is a film called The Assistant, uh, written by and directed by uh, Kitty Green, um, starring Julia Garner, Matthew McFadden, and Mackenzie Lee. Um, this is a film about a young um, a sort of production assistant working for a film company. Um, she's the assistant to a faceless, powerful executive um, and starts to realise that, as so starts to realise that he may be um, committing acts of um, sexual harassment. Um, with certain actresses, certainly new employees and that kind of thing um, and doesn't really know what to do about it um, it's yeah it's not it's not subtle it's not subtly based on the life and times of one Mr Harvey Weinstein I would say that definitely his shadow definitely lurks over this um, but it's just there's sometimes a film comes along and what's so good for me about The Assistant is just how understated this is um, Julia Garner's performance is brilliant she's not an actress I've seen in anything before um, but it is really really good in this film and it's just a very understated film it, it never it ne it's this is a kind of subject that could be incredibly emotive um, and it, it just isn't played that way here and I think it's all the more effective for it um, and mild spoiler warning here what I think works incredibly well about this is you never actually see the executive in question um, he's never on camera um, you hear his voice from time to time so he's just this kind of imposing terrifying force of menace that you never see um, but yeah it just it just struck me as just 
just a very well sharply written very very well written story that comes in just under the 90 minute mark so again you know i'm always a big fan of things that come in at a tight running time and it just worked for me and it's just the understated nature of it makes it all the more powerful um especially precedent prescient in the current times that we live in but yeah and also yeah let it be said as well that julia garner's performance is superb in this and i think she's going to go on to do very very big things on the basis of, of her performance in this film so yeah the assistant for me comes in at number five yeah did you say you may have said a couple of times is it already streaming yeah it's up to rent i rented it on amazon prime cool cool yeah i need to i need to get to it that that sounds good um for certainly yeah i think you'll like it yeah i think you'll like it now paul this could be controversial so i'm gonna i'm gonna be careful here i'm gonna tread lightly uh my number four pick um come at me world number four is uncut gems from the safty brothers it's only made number four and i guess that's what i feel could be controversial and i'll explain briefly without harping on too much about the movie because we have already reviewed it of course on the show but uh, uncut gems is all the things that you've heard that it is and i'm sure most of our listeners have seen the movie already uh it's tight it's tense it's uncomfortable it's sweaty palmed it's gonna make you feel like you're getting a migraine and all those things are very deliberate and very planned and and they're dealt with with the same vigor that uh the safty brothers brought to good time which of the two movies i would say is my preference of the last two safty brothers movies however here we have that rarest of things which is a good Adam Sandler performance uh, this and Punch Drunk Love are pretty much those films I would say uh, and so I'm all for that although again I would say Punch Drunk Love is the one not this one if you want one Adam Sandler performance but uh, yes you get swept up in it yes a lot of it uh, worked really well for me and a lot of it did give me that sort of edgy agitated sense that I think the film is going for and then I suppose when the movie is leaning in a bit heavier towards its conclusion, perhaps depending on your interpretation, into comment on the state of things, uh, that's when I felt like maybe it didn't have as much follow through as perhaps I wanted it to have. Um, and I and I can't really, without talking for an hour, I can't really get into too much more detail about what I mean there. And you'd have to get back to me in the comments uh, about Uncut Gems. But uh, I enjoyed it. As I said, when we did the review, um, it, it was a sort of nail biter of an experience. And I know a lot of people say you've watched it and you'll never watch it again. No, I'll absolutely watch this film again. I, w- I would go through this again without I've already doubt. seen it three times. So that might oh, be well, some indication. It you're... might be on this list somewhere, but... <laughs> <laughs> you're you're uh, you're certainly not one to bulk a, a stressful situation in that case. No. <laughs> uh, but yes, that one is my number four uncut gems from the end of January this year. Nice. This was uh, yeah. This this was a tricky one for me because I think that the, this next four definitely you could almost swap the order around depending on the mood I'm in on the day. But I've committed to the, the order that it's in. Uh, number four for me is Portrait of a Lady on Fire, um, directed by Celine Sciamma, um, and it is uh, one of the most beautiful films I think my eyes have seen uh, for many many a year the cinematography is absolutely stunning in it um, it stars Naomi Merlon and Adele Hanel um, as um, basically um, there's a young woman um, who is uh, sorry there's a young woman who is 
promised to a suitor and the her mother wants a portrait painted of her so she can so she can send this painting to her rich suitor so she can marry into a rich family um, she refused to be painted by a man and is instead uh, instead her mother then enlists a female painter um, to paint a wedding portrait of the young woman um, they then end up falling in love which kind of cheapens well I've cheapened uh, the love story there um, and kind of truncated it um, because it's it's done with much more aplomb than that I would say um, yeah they then end up um, falling in love and it's a beautiful beautiful tale um of their love story um that i just it took me a while to warm to this i have to say when i first started watching it i didn't immediately uh, fall for the characters or fall for the film in the way that some people have but um once uh, once i was hooked into it i think the performances are superb it's beautifully beautifully shot um there's some some of the standout shots of the year i think some of my if we end up doing a favorite scenes of the year i think this might this will probably appear probably more than once to be fair without again giving too much away of the film but yeah it's just uh, an impeccably impeccably well-made film and a beautiful love story um, and just a very very well put together film that I, I really really enjoyed um, whether it, whether or not I'll be interested I haven't seen it twice yet whether or not my sort of concerns about the when I struggle to warm to the characters will go away on second viewing will be interesting um, so I look forward to getting to it again but even so even on first viewing it still sits at number four um, so that's Portrait of a Lady on Fire yeah and to my shame i still haven't seen it so it okay. couldn't qualify for my list but it it probably would be right in amongst it but i just haven't caught up with it yet through various life situations but uh i do, i want to throw something in here paul just very quickly before i get on to my next one which is something was sort of going off in my head when you were saying uh, julia garner's in that movie that you just talked about which mm. is the assistant is that right yeah yeah, so I think you know this actress. Julia Garner is in the TV show Waco, if you saw that. She's in Maniac. She's in Dirty John. She's in Ozark, if you watched that. Do you watch Ozark? No, I've seen about half an hour of all of these shows, so that's probably oh, why I don't remember she, it. But um, in addition, I mean, in addition, you should wash your mouth out because she's in Martha Marcy Made Marlene as well. well I've 100% seen that, so yeah. I, I knew I'd seen out. her yeah. from a bunch of places. <laughs> uh, and yeah, that that's uh, those are some of those anyway. Um, but yeah, anyway, moving on with this thing. Uh, the next one for me, as part of my controversy, I guess, I've put this ahead of Uncut Gems and I'm just going to stand by it and it's fine. Uh, it currently holds a 41 meta score on uh, the IMDb. My number three film of the year so far in the first six months is the Nicholas Pesci version of The Grudge. I don't care. Like, I genuinely <laughs> think history will absolve me of any guilt that I feel about rating this film. I've watched back sections of the movie before we did this just to remind myself what it is that resonated with me and it's just so much to do with this director. It's so much to do with his understanding I think of the period of time in which the sort of golden age of J-horror existed in the sort of later 90s and the way that he has scenes that are shot in this kind of televisual way early in the movie that exactly mirror the style of those movies the sections of something like the grudge or the ring or like dark water where you some of the the shots are not given a sort of cinematic gloss as they are in in bigger productions and that's got a sort of nostalgic warmth to it that really endeared me to the project yeah things like the hand coming through john cho's head that's on the freaking poster probably the weakest thing that happens in the whole movie but like 
casting someone like Andrea Riseborough, who looks like she has just been through the absolute ringer in her life. Like, that's, I mean this with no disrespect to her because she is a terrific actress and she is a very attractive woman and a very talented woman. But there's something about the sort of physicality and the, the facial sort of um, uh, expression of, of Andrea Riseborough that in something like Mandy worked well but then in Mandy I feel like the director's just jerking off all over the place and playing you know like a like a slow sort of sludge rock psych psychedelic rock record at sort of half speed for two hours and there's some of that that starts to rub me the wrong way whereas here oh she's just she's just perfect as the person that she plays in the movie I also really rate John Cho I think he handles his role well but above all it's that central element which is the grudge itself which is the thing that won't let leave you alone won't let you alone won't let you get on with things and as much as I understand that this has not resonated with everyone, far from it, and it's not gone down particularly well, and it will probably be forgotten, I think this director's fantastic, and I'm really keen on whatever it is he's going to do next. So uh, check out the work of Nicholas Pesci and, and check out The Grudge and form your own decision and then get back to me and tell me why I'm completely wrong. But uh, The Grudge is my number three. Good. Um, yeah, I thought it was okay, if I remember rightly. We talked about it on the show, I think. But yeah, no, it's, it's good. I'm glad, you've I'm glad you liked it, Pete. It's important. Oh, well, thanks. <laughs> no worries. Um, at my number three um, is uh, The Lighthouse, directed by Robert Eggers. I think I've now seen this three times um, because I wanted to see it on the, at the cinema. Um, and then I watched it again at the cinema. And then I watched it again. I didn't need to explain exactly how I'd seen it three times, so I'll move on. Um, yeah, this is um, Robert Eggers' follow-up to The Witch, um, which was one of my favourite horror films um, in recent memory, for sure. Um, two lighthouse keepers trying to maintain their sanity whilst living on a remote and mysterious uh, island in the 1890s. This stars William Defoe and Robert Pattinson um, in two of the finest performances I think you will see this year. Um, I just thought it's you know it's the performances I think are as key to this film as as the as the sparse sort of black and white visuals. Um, don't get me wrong, the film is beautifully shot and lensed. It looks absolutely fantastic. Um, I think this is one of the one of the years for like best looking films that I've seen in quite some while. Like almost everything here um, in my list is, is consistently beautifully shot. I think There's, um, maybe that's just me. I don't know. Not to say that other years haven't had good looking films, but there seem to be a lot of very good looking films have released of late. Um, and yeah, the lighthouse is certainly one of them. Um, it's absolutely positively um, dripping with atmosphere um, among other things um, later in the film um, and is yeah it's it's unapologetically dark it's unapologetically a Robert Eggers film he certainly he certainly makes he certainly has not made this for uh, a wide audience shall we say and that to me plays plays to the film's strengths um, I read some of the other day about perhaps it's interesting now to reassess it after we've gone through however many months of lockdown we've gone through um, and to see if this takes on to see what sort of life this takes on post lockdown which should be interesting but yeah um, it's 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 certainly not going to be a film to everyone's taste um, I can guarantee you of that um, but for those of you that like The Witch I think it confirms Robert Eggers as um, certainly an auteur and certainly one of the more most interesting filmmakers working today um, and yeah I absolutely loved it and I'm looking forward to watching it again um, that is The Lighthouse um, by Robert Eggers yeah, I, I, as you know, didn't warm to this in the same way that you did mm. um, and, and certainly prefer The Witch. And, and I'm trying to think why that is. And, and all I can think is if Anya Taylor-Joy had been in The Lighthouse, uh, <laughs> you know, we might have been getting somewhere. But uh, yeah, no, I, I'll, I'll go back to it for sure. And you're absolutely right. If we we're doing like a top five people in sort of 
maniacal states of uh, you know mental breakdown because of a lockdown situation this is going right into that list for sure yeah absolutely Oh, another film that links to people being locked in places is my number two pick. This is Parasite. Uh, Parasite, I don't need to say too much about because you've either seen it and formed your own opinion or haven't seen it and decided that you're not going to. But this is the latest from Bong Joon-ho, the storied Korean film director. And, you know, not to, I don't want to retread the review that we did before. The things that stand out to me uh, at this point, having uh, not seen the film now for a little time uh, the things that stand out for me most of all are the way in which the director forms a kind of diorama a kind of um, sort of encapsulated world that so perfectly is a sort of visual summary of the themes of the movie uh, the, th- the the idea of like trickle-down economics being quite you know, literalized in the movie with the way in which everything rolls downhill and floods downhill on the people who are living halfway below the ground already. Uh, The way in which the uh, rich family in the film are all uh, pristine glass, uh, untouched surfaces, uh, perfect living conditions, but internally broken, fraying and sort of damaged around the edges. And then the way in which I think uh, Bong Joon-ho has a very human touch that he brings to the work that he does. It's not simply about, um, you know, making an extended allegory and pointing out all of the ills of society, although those things are there. It's also about understanding the human heart a little bit um, and understanding what people might be longing for within this kind of late capitalist mess that we gone and got ourselves into. Um, and, you know, you can't summarise that much better, I think, than in the central idea that's presented at the end of the film, which is all about striving and someday it'll be worth it. I mean, I had a long conversation today in my day job with a a Japanese guy who's in uh, a situation that relates to the difficulties of being a salary man and the expectations that the society places on you. And of course, this is a Korean movie and Japan and Korea are very different countries. And I think you can find universality actually in Parasite that can connect with a lot of people's lives if you maybe think about it and look at it uh, for a little longer but without all of those things and without all of that chin stroking and sort of deep meaning you've also got a very well made movie that will make you laugh and make you feel repulsed and make you feel scared and nervous and anxious and all that good stuff so yeah Parasite's a really good film it's really well made I really like Bong Joon-ho and it was for a while here my number one film and I've switched them around to be a contrarian but also because I just have a strong feeling about the thing I put at number one but um, yeah Parasite number two what have you got at number two Paul? Uh, my number two, Pete, is also Parasite. Ah. Um, it certainly is probably arguably a better film. Um, it certainly has more originality to it than the film that's going to be at my number one, which if you're very clever and have listened, you'll probably guess what it is in a minute. Um, but yeah, I think I've, I can't really say much more than what you've said in it because you've put that very succinctly. It's just an in- incredibly, incredibly well-made film. Um, there's so many layers to this. Like It's not just what you see on the surface, but but you don't as you said Pete you don't need to go into the layers to enjoy this you can read it one way and think okay this is a very very clever very very layered and it is a very very clever very very layered film without a shadow of a doubt um but at the same time on the surface it's just a really well put together thriller um that kind of it takes you and the first time you watch parasite you have 
you would not guess what's coming. I I would defy anyone to tell me that they saw where the direction Parasite was going in. I don't believe you. Uh, put, put simply, I don't believe you will work out where Parasite's going. I don't think it's signposted. I think it trips you up in a really, really good way and twists, in, twists and turns in, um, twists and turns in, in, in great directions. Um, and yeah, arguably, probably one of the best and most original films we'll see for quite a number of years, I would say. Um, and it's yeah, it's just a, it's a really, really powerful piece of work and a really, really great film um and i won't say more than that because you you pretty much said everything i was going to say pete <laughs> well in my apologies i was gonna i was just gonna tag on to what you said like the aren't these the best directors though the yeah. ones where like the messaging is there uh maybe that forms a, a significant component of the work but you look back over the work of bong joon ho and you think about uh okja and for example that all that that movie has to say about you know the mass production of meat and the slaughter of animals and uh, the protection of the environment and so on but on the other hand it's a story about a young girl's relationship with a super pig you know that that's what that story is it's it's, it's on wacky characters and chase scenes in the same way parasite is parasite snowpiercer excuse me is a film about people getting from the back of a train to the front of a train and kicking shit out of a load of other people but it's also something else as we know and yeah. as we've discussed and on and on you know uh, mother also i could talk for hours about what mother is concerned with but then it's also just a workable piece of drama that's enjoyable on those terms as well. Yeah, I think that's that's where he's brilliant. He manages to make um, sort of commercially entertaining films, commercially viable films, which I didn't think anyone expected Parasite to do. Uh, it went absolutely gangbusters in the UK box office. I think it's the most successful foreign language film of all time. Um, and I couldn't even get a bus home without people talking about Parasite on the bus, which I did not expect, I'll be honest. No. Um, but yeah, entertaining on a base level as an entertaining film, but yeah, just incredibly layered. And yeah, he's he's so good at that as a director. He's yeah definitely one of the one of the greats working today for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Which brings us to our um, respective number one picks. And um, I expect you know what I'm going to put here. Do you know what I'm going to put here? I'm not sure, actually, to be honest. I'm, I'm eager. I'm, I probably should know, but go on. You'll know as soon as I mention it. So this is a stunningly the feature directorial debut of one Carlo Mirabella Davis. It is the film Swallow, ah, okay. uh, which yeah. I did talk about, I think, briefly on the show previously. I just I've I've gone back to the movie because I'm very slowly and painstakingly trying to write a review of it, uh, a sort of longer form review of it. But uh, this is a film that came out of nowhere for me, really. Uh, and also an actress in Hayley Bennett who didn't come out of nowhere. I was aware of her work, but it's one of those like uh, Elizabeth Olsen, maybe in Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene, just because I mentioned that today uh, and others that I could mention also where you just had no idea that that performer was capable of that performance. Uh, for those who don't know, this tells the story of, of Hayley Bennett's character, who is called Hunter. She's a young woman who has just got married to a very well-to-do guy who is going to be made the youngest, like, CEO or managing director or some high-ranking position in his company. He is incredibly flush financially. They've moved into this luxuriant uh, house that would be befitting of the richer family in Parasite. All glass, windows looking out but no escape. A room full of space and air but almost completely airless for the central character because what we have is something not unlike the Julianne Moore predicament in that film Safe that I mm. talked about recently on the show where 
where you've got someone who's sort of given everything like you have lovely clothes and jewelry and a walk-in wardrobe and now stay home and be happy and be beautiful and you know fuck me when I come back from work or whatever the requirements of that dream wife might be to the guy in question who of course here is very successful and sort of drowning in his own reflection but what we've got is a woman who yes there is I think at times a slightly heavy-handed explanation as to the the thing that has happened with this person perhaps but a woman who is starting to um, come apart a little bit and regain control and the way that she regains control is essentially through self-harm like so many people who suffer with uh, mental health concerns and, and difficulties and turmoil but her harm is not external it's internal because of course as the film's title suggests she swallows things and this starts with the um, sort of an artifact of complete and perfect childhood innocence which is a marble which to me connotes nothing but childhood game like marbles are completely functionless if it isn't for being young and she wants that inside her she wants to take what she has lost and keep it inside herself and as the film goes on the things that she swallow have a she swallows sorry have a significance to this woman and her sense of controlling herself but of course, Paul, when you're seriously mentally ill or you're suffering from any kind of uh, significant mental disorder, at some point, someone may look a little deeper, look a little closer and realise that something's off with you. And when that's an endoscopy, finding a whole load of household items buried deep within yourself, you know things are going off the rails. I just love this movie. Like, I just think that it is so well handled. I think that there's, like, talking about layers in, in Bong Joon-ho's movies, like, there are choices here that are made with such precision and such an eye for meaning and metaphor. And um, it's just a brilliant piece of work. Hayley Bennett's an absolute revelation uh, in this film. And, yeah, I mean, uh, I guess a disclaimer that we throw on a few things that we review with this, not least Sean Sono that I mentioned today. This is not for everyone. And also, if you find the idea of seeing a person swallow things that should not be swallowed uh, too much of a trigger and too off-putting, then, you know, steer clear. But otherwise, it's really dense, really well-handled, really meaningful material. And, and I loved it. And it also has one of the best uh, ending sequences in anything I've seen in months. Uh, so Swallow's really good. Check it out. Paul. Yeah, it's a really good film. It, ju it just got tipped by the assistant, but only just, I think. Um, but yeah, no, I, I'm with you, Pete. I really liked it. It was a good recommendation. So thank you for that. So yeah, I would, I would second that as a recommendation. Swallow's great. Definitely check it out if you haven't. Um, at number one for me, um, you might have guessed it, Pete. It's Uncut Gems. Um, I just adore this film with all of my little heart. Um, I, it's just as I said before, like you don't always. The film doesn't always need to be original to to be good. Um, it doesn't need to be original to be great. It can just be an incredibly accomplished genre piece. And I would hard. I'd be hard pushed to find a thriller that's thrilled me more than Uncut Gems. Um, since perhaps good time i would say but i would say this for me i prefer this to good time although it's close i think good time is great i think the safety brothers are 
incredibly talented filmmakers very very good at what they do um it gets an, a fantastic performance out of adam sandler here who once again proves that with the right team behind him he can act and certainly delivers a great role you've got a, a superb performance i believe in a first major role from julia fox in the supporting role um idina menzel is cast completely against type and brilliant in this i just think it's one of those films that's just the sum of its parts i think everyone's great in terms of performance the visuals are great. The sound design, I don't think it just needs to be talked about a lot here. It's just the fact there's a constant clatter of things going on in the background, which just put you on edge. From the moment the film opens, from the moment the film opens, once you once you get into the jewellery shop, like it just puts you on edge. You're just like, well, you just stop it. It's like people running nails down a chalkboard. Like almost everyone who's seen it was just like, that was intense. Like I nearly had a heart attack when you watch it. The pacing for me is nigh on perfect. The 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 the, the end I think was was superbly handled. For me, I just I haven't seen a film that I engaged with as much as Uncut Gems in a while, to be honest. And it just it just got me, it picked me up, it put me down, and I was excited through all of it. I think I've now said probably three times now I've seen it, and every time, Pete, I'll be honest, it's almost been as exciting for me. I don't I don't have enough good words for how much I like Uncut Gems. <laughs> I, I've just been thinking as you've been talking, like what are the other films that come to mind when you think of? man or woman needs to do something in very short space of time or everything falls apart like what comes into that because the things that come to mind for me uh run lola run yeah not bad right it's not a very yeah. dissimilar film but very much do this or life is over uh crank i guess <laughs> yeah. Crank. yeah i wonder maybe it's a top five for the future you know you've got to get something done right away or else films yeah i'll come up with a better title by the time we do that <laughs> yeah absolutely but yeah uncut Jones would be probably my number one in that list as well pete yeah but no honestly i just yeah i can't i can't rate this highly enough um I, there's obviously there's always people out there that don't like films that you like i don't get it if you don't like this film i don't i don't get it um i love it and unashamedly love it and as i said parasite is probably the more accomplished of the films it's certainly probably the more original of the two films but that's not to take anything away from from uncut gems it just yeah i think it's impeccable at what it does and one of the most exciting films i've seen in quite some time so uncut gems is my number one of 2020 so far and i'll be honest it will take possibly take june being a masterpiece to knock this off number one but we shall see uh have you got the the whole five to hand uh i do yes so uh, if we run down our top fives um i've got birds of prey at five uncut gems at four parasite at three um and then no i've deleted a film from the list i always criticize you for doing this and then i've yeah. gone ahead and done it myself <laughs> paul you list your top five and i'll sort my life out okay i will list my top five so my top five uh, at number five was the assistant uh, at number four was portrait of a lady on fire at number three was the lighthouse at number two was parasite and at number one was uncut gems nice i've sorted it out now uh, <laughs> five was birds of prey four uncut gems three the 2020 version of the grudge uh two parasite and one swallow uh so yes if you miss some of those uh, get on it as soon as possible let us know what you thought what you agree with what you disagree with where we're completely off base or where we've uncovered something that maybe you wouldn't have watched otherwise please let us know particularly on twitter we'll be active there and you can get in touch with us directly either individually or best of all through the strangers page uh paul anything else to mention before we duck out for this week uh, no, apart from, yeah, just find us on social media at Stranger Cinema on Twitter, Stranger Cinema on Facebook. So, yeah, check us out. Let us know what you think. And if you like the episode, recommend it to friends. 
fantastic. We will be back and we're not going to wait like three weeks to do the next episode. So look forward to that. But from now, uh, see you next time. Goodbye. Shut up and sit down.